This podcast is a collaboration between Costard and Touchstone Productions and the Dads from the Crypt podcast. What's that smell? What smell, Caesar? What have you been taking? Just a medicine, but to what off the fever? Did you give him medicine for the fever? Uh, well... Yes or no? No, no, no. Jamelus, are you accusing your sovereign of being a poison? But I never accused you, Caesar. You took an antidote before coming to my table, which is tantamount to accusing me of poisoning you. That is logic, is it not? Caligula! Kyria, arrest Jamelus for treason. Guards, take him away. As if that ever could be an antidote against Caesar. <laughs> Hello and welcome to another episode of the How Not to Make a Movie podcast. I'm Alan Katz. One of our big themes on this podcast is what happens when talented movie makers lose their minds or their taste or control over their movies. You get a bordello of blood when big-name, talented people make a movie none of them really wants to make, plus an insane producer. Caligula had the opposite problem, but with an insane producer. Every big name that made Caligula wanted to make the movie, and for almost entirely artistic reasons. Gore Vidal, the screenplay's original author, had a clear vision of what he wanted. I'm Gore Vidal, and I've written a screenplay about one of the most extraordinary, some think one of the most wicked young men that ever lived, the Roman Emperor Caligula. Caligula's original director, Tinto Brass, he also had a clear vision. Uh, the problem was his vision for the movie didn't match Gore Vidal's or Bob Guccione's. And Bob Guccione's vision mattered more than anyone's because all the money was his. The result is a spectacular fiasco. It's not just bad, it's epically bad, almost unwatchably bad. That's harder to pull off than it looks, and I know from experience. Caligula calls itself the most controversial film of all time. It might just be right. honest, Caligula is not an easy movie to sit through. That's regardless of which of the various cuts you watch. For clarity's sake, I watched the uncut edition. 
that clocks in at 156 minutes. And if I never see another naked body, so long as I live, I'll die a happy person. That's one of the movie's odd effects, on me at least. There's constant nudity, fairly constant hardcore sex, and yet it never feels sensual or erotic or even remotely sexy. The producer in me keeps shouting at it, no, 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 nudity doesn't work here. It, it isn't needed. Why are all these people naked? To be honest, I find Caligula's nudity downright oppressive and inexplicable. In fact, the whole movie feels, I don't know, ill at ease, like it, it knows it's going places it probably shouldn't. A lot of people have thought about this movie and why it is the way that it is. They've written books and shorts and academic papers on the subject. Academic papers. Most of the criticism has landed squarely on Bob Guccione. Rightfully so. This movie is pretty much what Guccione wanted it to be. But Caligula wasn't his first time at the movie-making rodeo. In fact, Guccione had helped finance quite a few movies. Forget it, Jake. It's Chinatown. Chinatown. The Longest Yard. Day of the Locust. The man had solid cinematic taste. He had a dream, too. In an interview he gave to Penthouse, his own magazine, Guccione stated, I certainly didn't set out to make a pornographic movie. But then he says, it's a question of definitions. To him, porno was a work of bad art as opposed to good art. Guccione wanted to make a serious statement with Caligula. His final word, we've done with cinematic images what so many authors and historians have done with words. When Guccione says we, he means he. Like I said, Guccione paid for Caligula all by himself. Every penny in was his. Now, the idea of doing a movie about Caligula started with one of the gods of Italian cinema, Roberto Rossellini. On a crypt-related side note, Roberto Rossellini was the father of Isabella Rossellini, one of the stars of the You Murderer episode. Roberto Rossellini wrote a treatment. In his version, Caligula doesn't start out a monster at all. Irfan Shah, writing in Cineast in 2019, describes the Caligula in Rossellini's original treatment as a self-aware rebel trying to subvert a corrupt political system. Rossellini focused his lens on the gritty realities of post-war life in Italy. Before Rossellini, though, Albert Camus had written a play about Caligula in the 1950s. Camus' Caligula is intellectually sophisticated, cruel, but also sentimental. Irfan Shah argues that Rossellini's Caligula starts where Camus' Caligula left off. He's a Republican with a small r who wants to shock the status quo away from imperial lunacy and back to being a sensible republic. Those are some fantastic ambitions for this story. It makes where it ended up that much more excruciating. This movie might have could have been something. There are flashes of a really good movie trapped inside it. I have existed from the morning of the world, and I shall exist until the last star falls from the night. Although I have taken the form of Caius Caligula, I am all men as I am no man, and therefore I am a god. Alas, Rossellini couldn't get any traction with his Caligula project, and he put it down. But his nephew, Franco Rossellini, picked it up. He turned to a friend for help, Paul Morrissey, who had just made two films in Italy for Andy Warhol. Morrissey turned Rossellini onto the idea of Gore Vidal. The problem, Gore Vidal would cost $225,000, a shit ton of money for a script back then. And Italy had a law against paying any foreigner that kind of money for an Italian production. 
So Rossellini needed a foreign partner to pay Vidal. Now, Gore Vidal, it turned out, owned a property in Manhattan. He had a tenant living in it, a guy named Jack Silverman, who, it turned out, was the president of Penthouse Films. And Penthouse Films, it turned out, was looking for a prestige project for its owner, Bob Guccione, to produce. And that is how Caligula ended up with Bob Guccione. When Gore Vidal finally turned in his first draft, Guccione hated it because Vidal's script leaned heavily on gay sex scenes and not too heavily on straight sex. Sure, Guccione wanted to make a serious movie, but a serious movie with lots of mostly straight sex in it. He hired a great and expensive cast of serious actors. Malcolm McDowell, Sir John Gilgood, Peter O'Toole, Helen Mirren, and Maria Schneider. The problem was, as his expensive cast began to show up in Rome, there was still no director. Guccione had heard about a guy named Tinto Bras and Screen Bras's Salon Kitty, a World War II erotic war drama. Now, depending on who you ask, Tinto Bras is either a hack or a genius. Most of the world says hack, but German documentary filmmaker Alexander Tushinsky says genius. Tushinsky wrote his film school thesis on Tinto Brass and his original intentions for Caligula. So Guccione hires Brass, and right off the bat, Brass declares Vidal's script too bourgeois, the work of an aging arteriosclerotic. In response, Vidal tells the press, directors are parasites. Brass bans him from the set. Vidal, in response to that, takes his name off both the script and the movie itself, which was originally going to be called Gore Vidal's Caligula. Gosh, isn't movie making fun? Now, here's an interesting story. According to John Hidenry in his book, What Wild Ecstasy, The Rise and Fall of the Sexual Revolution, this happened on day one of principal photography on Caligula. Brass announced that the one thing banished from the set would be sexual inhibition. Then, with his wife and astonished Guccione and cast and crew members looking on, he proceeded with the help of a female extra to demonstrate the proper way to perform cunnilingus. Wow, I've heard of giving line readings before, but that's nuts. Shortly thereafter, Maria Schneider quit. She resented how sexualized the script had become, and she really resented how her wardrobe seemed designed to expose her breasts every time she moved. Brass replaced her with a more compliant actress, Teresa Ann Savoy. Filming began in earnest in August 1976 at DEAR Studios in Rome. Danilo Donati, a world-class designer, stepped in as set and wardrobe designer and created 22 gigantic sets, including a huge dry dock, gold leaf boat, a monstrous man decapitation device, and palace interiors that resemble artificial theater sets. As Irfan Shah points out, these were a world away from the project's original, grittier, neorealistic conception. Guccione wasn't happy either, and for his own reasons. Guccione wanted an erotic epic, but Rass kept hiring odd-looking extras that seemed to shit on the eroticism. Actress Helen Mirren described the experience as being an irresistible mix of art and genitals. So, what was it like on the set? I chatted about that with Tales from the Crypt alum, Malcolm McDowell. I'm sure when Caligula called, it 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 yes. wasn't it, it it wasn't the thing that it ultimately became. It 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 had something of a pedigree. The the screenplay was developed from an unproduced television miniseries by Roberto Rossellini. Well, it, that's news to me. It it started out with Those. the best of intentions. 
Yeah, yeah, uh, so, uh, you, you may be right, I've forgotten that. You know, yeah, uh, to be yeah. honest with you, I've forgotten a lot about it. I was going to do a sort of one-man show about it and sort of come out in a toga oh my smoking God. a cigarette or something uh, with jeans on. But um, I, I have a lot of funny stories about it because, honestly, the only way to get through it was by laughing at it. But um, well, I mean, yeah. what did what did everyone think as as you all said yes? You all agreed to 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 sign. Well, you know, of course, we hadn't seen a script, so I kind of got as soon as I I was in it and got the script, I thought, wow, this is terrible. I was so shocked at how you know this such a great writer produced such rubbish, and uh, you know, I immediately tried to i said you know and and then they they'd cast um, the director you know it was going to be nick rogue was it really yeah huh. oh nick rogue came up to me in san lorenzo's restaurant and said he looked over to me and he looked down and he said so i'm not to be your master uh. <laughs> i mean he's such an arrogant fucker you know and i went well nick not on this one huh. By the way, if we ever do work together, you will still not be my master, <laughs> but we'll happily work together. Of course, he was a wonderful director, and he would have, it would have been a very interesting. Oh, his Don't Look Now is one of the, oh, one of my favorite movies ever. Incredible movie, ever. incredible movie, yeah. and really not a great book. I thought he made so much more of it than was in the book. If if if, it, if 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 Caligula had had that sensuality, you know the the lovemaking scene between Julie Christie and Donald Sutherland is a oh, yeah. is a wonderful scene because it yeah. feels so it feels so real it feels so emotionally oh that's why everybody thought it was real indeed yeah it, it's it it's, wasn't it, it's and the the amazing thing about it is that it's this wonderful sex scene between a married couple yeah 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 exactly. That's, exactly. that's the weirdest thing about it. But it's so amazing because of what happened to the child and all that. And, it, and you know, it's so brilliant the way the child wears that. Oh, red and the, and red water. Mac and shiny red Macintosh. It, it's uh, like a, a Southwester or something. It's really, it's an amazing film. A thunderous yeah. ending. Oh, my God. Yeah, never, he's a great. Yeah, oh, it will never. It can and never I get love, out of your head. by the way, I loved um, performance with James uh, Fox and Mick Jagger. Mm, Mick was ne was never better in a movie. The best thing he ever did on celluloid, in my opinion, I it, thought he was amazing. I I agree, and it makes it heartbreaking to to hear that Nick Rogue was thought of to to direct that movie. It, it would have been a, a and the, and the reason. The reason he wasn't offered it in the end was, of course, was because he was too independent and too good and would not be manipulated by Guccione. Yeah. And that's why. And it's sad. But not that he could manipulate Tinto Brass. He didn't. It was a cause an almighty explosion. Mm. And, you know, the film was a total fuck up, you know, but. Basically, we, you know, but I, I kept saying to Gore, well, it's all right, Gore, for you. You know, you took your name off it. I'm now stuck having to do it. He didn't give you back know. the money, did he? 
Uh, I don't know. No, he did not. He did not give back the money. Of course he got he paid. Did. He got paid two twenty-five. He got paid. A, he got paid a, a nice chunk of change for for those days. Oh yeah. And, yeah. and he, <laughs> hey man, hey man. Uh, how how ashamed do you really? Uh, the casting was became an issue. Uh, Maria Schneider and she just passed away recently, unfortunately. A terrific actor. Yeah. She was supposed to play Drusilla. She quit while filming her first sex scene, uh, right in the middle of working with you. Uh, no, she never got. She, she never got that far? No. Hmm. She got as far as a costume fitting huh. and coming up to do a little rehearsal. Oh, the stories people tell. Good God. It, 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 was, so, it, it was nothing like that. Go ahead, carry on, no. please. Good, good, good. She went down to the seamstress. And, you know, we had Danilo Donati one of the great designers of all time. He did all Fellini's movies. A genius. Such talented so he was, people in this He project. did the costumes and the sets. And, you know, the costumes were literally one stitch here, one stitch there. That was it, open. And you wore a diaper underneath it. Um, she had went down to the seamstress and had them sew up the sides of the dress uh, so that sure, sure. The, the scene was me fondling her breast because, you know, I'm her brother basically. And uh, to be fondling her breast to a modern audience is sort of outrageous. But of course, in Caligula's time, the, it was quite normal. Yeah. And um, they were the only people you could trust with your family. And that's basically who you s stayed with. I tried to, get into the dress and I went wow um, how did you manage to get this and uh, uh, Tinto Brass went ballistic uh, <laughs> and he really lost it when he found out what she'd done he lost it and uh, she sort of went fuck you and he went fuck me oh, get off my set and oh, so whether boy. she I don't know whether she walked or she was fired. I think she basically walked. For a little while, they thought about Catherine Ross to replace her. I got a call from Catherine who said, Malcolm, I've been offered it. What can you tell me? And I went, oh, Catherine, God, I'm your America's sweetheart. I'm a, such a fan. I went, I'd love to work with you, but darling, not on this. I, I honestly, from the bottom of my heart, I I really think you should not do this. They're running around the set naked and everything. I, I don't. She went, oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> you. That was very, very good of you to spare, to spare her the trip. Yeah, I, I wouldn't do that. To her. And, I, and I was a fan, a big fan of hers. And I knew that was a terrible fit. But, you know, that was another manipulation of Guccione. Gilgood, you got to work. Oh, with, yeah. Yeah, so you did, get, you did finally get to work with John in, 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 a, in a feature. Uh, there's a story about you and John talking about uh, personal finances, that John was complaining about having to do movies like this. Yes, he, um, he said, my accountant, you know, I, I've been told I've got to cut back. And I went, oh, dear, John, we'll... What I I mean, do you live this high lifestyle? He goes, good God, no. But but I can't afford it, the taxes, you know. I said, well, where could you cut back? I mean, 
you've got this beautiful house. He went, oh, yes, so I can't leave the house. And, and I said, and what about you've got this lovely Rolls Royce and a chauffeur? And he goes, I couldn't possibly do without my Rolls. And I went, well, I think that's what they're talking about when they say cut back. He said, well, they're not paying me very much per diem. Um, and I hear you have a villa. I went, well, I do. And, and I tell you, I'd love to share it with you. You can have a whole wing of it. He said, oh, so nice. Thank you so much. And he came and stayed with me for two weeks. And it was adorable. Huh. I had a wonderful time with him. I adored him. He regaled us all these stories. And, you know, everything was, he was telling me about him and Larry when they did um, Romeo and Juliet, you know, and they alternated the parts of Romeo and Laertes. And, mm -hmm. and not Laertes, um, Mercutio. Mercutio, yeah. Yeah. And he's, he'd always say, Larry was far better than me. And he was much more athletic, you know. I just, I just had the voice. And I went, yeah, but what a voice. <laughs> he said, well, Larry's is a pretty good voice too, but he was so much more athletic, you know. There's something funny about Gilgood saying, I just have the voice. Yeah, I just had the voice, a voice. Okay. Is, if that's how yeah. you see yourself, okay. At the time, the top tax rate in England was 83%. So it was pretty brutal to, uh, to people making yeah. the kind of money that yeah. you guys were, were making. Uh, yeah. In the end, the principal cast members, everyone agreed to do a voiceover recording session only if Bob Guccione's inserts would be left out of the final cut. Uh, apparently, no one, you, you wouldn't do the, you wouldn't do the, the looping uh, un, until... Yes, he, I'm he was, sure that's true, but... Uh... But I they they didn't pay me a, a a big chunk of money. I think something north of two hundred thousand dollars they owed me, and in those days that was a lot of money. Yeah, yeah. They yeah. owed me, and I refused. So I refused to do anything till first I had a certified check, which they came around with the messenger, and I got, and I had my lawyer there, and I gave it to him immediately. Oh God. And, oh, it was really terrible. And, of course, when it came out, uh, it was all put back. Yeah, right. And I bumped into Gilgood on 3rd Avenue. He was shooting Arthur. I didn't even know, you know. And he said, oh, Malcolm, I, have you seen the film? And I went, no, John, I haven't. He said, oh, frightfully good. I've seen it three times, and I paid twice. <laughs> yeah. What? <laughs> yeah. He saw it three times and paid twice. And then somebody must have got to him to say, look here, it's an absolutely scandalous film. You can't go around saying you like oh, it. My. So he then changed his tune and said, oh, frightful film. I don't know why I did it. Frightful. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. Oh, yeah. Dear. Uh, legendary movie critic Roger Ebert, apparently he, he, he hated the film. Oh, and yeah. He walked out after two hours and his review started with him <laughs> calling it sickening, utterly worthless, shameful trash. And it, yeah, yeah. With, and it ended with this movie, said the lady in front of me at the drinking fountain, is the worst piece of shit I have ever seen. That's yeah. how he ended his movie review of, of Caligula. Now, tell me this. Wouldn't you go, if you'd read that review, you'd have gone, I've got to see this movie. I know it made more money than any movie I've ever uh, done. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ridiculous. It's the insane I thing. Oh. I know, I know. Uh, there, there's one more little funny, funny little tidbit I'll throw in, and it, it, it's the perfect little little capper to it. Uh, after the film was released, uh, Annika Lorenza, she, uh, Marjorie Lee Thorson in a... Oh, yeah, yeah Annika, was, yeah. Yeah, she played... Um, a pet. Lena. A pet. Yeah, she sued Bob Guccione, saying that his handling of the film, mainly his adding of the hardcore sex inserts, had damaged her acting career by associating her with a hardcore porno film. She won her case. Uh, she was awarded $4.06 in damages. I thought she got $3 million. No, $4.06. You know, she was a very peculiar girl. And bless her, and I, I think she died. And I think she had not a happy life. It was because Guccione was really a very evil person. Where Caligula is concerned, Malcolm is right. Guccione was evil. When actors agree to do a movie, they expect the movie to be what they agreed to do. They certainly don't expect to have shots of people masturbating or sucking dick or ejaculating intercut with their acting. That's what's so disconcerting about the experience of watching Caligula. There's no other movie like it. First, it makes zero sense to intercut to the sex where the movie intercuts to the sex. But second, the sex itself completely lacks any humanness. It's utterly robotic and impersonal. As movie critic Roger Ebert also put it in his review of Caligula, it's not even good porn. When principal photography finished, Guccione fired Tinto Bras and took over the cut. He brought back a bunch of extras he'd hired and flew in more penthouse pets. According to Irfan Shah, most of the pets thought they were to appear in a James Bond movie. After shooting 12,000 feet of hardcore action in the DEAR studio basement, Guccione retired to Twickenham Studios in London, where he holed up in an editing suite and proceeded to create one of the primo examples ever of how not to make a movie. Like I said, watching Caligula is truly an odd experience. There are some very good scenes in the movie. There's some good acting. There are beautiful shots throughout. But we never feel anyone's humanity except when they're being tortured or brutally killed. Film is a language, and Caligula has a strange, hard-to-place accent. The fact that it misses as a movie, well, that isn't just Guccione's fault. It's Tinto's fault, too. If Gil and I had been sent Tinto's reel while we were doing Tales from the Crypt, we weren't, I'm just saying, if, I doubt we would have hired him. Our approach to shooting a scene was very different from his. So, you are going to marry a respectable Roman lady of the senatorial class. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. You've got to have an heir. Who will kill me when he grows up? The priestesses of Isis are meeting at my house tonight. Do you want me to marry one of them? Yes. No. Yes. Yes. He shoots everything with a wide master. Instead of cutting to reaction shots, he often pans to them or zooms. This isn't the best use of the cinematic language. While this style of shooting and editing captures everything and feels immediate, 
it never feels intimate. There's a very good reason for why we shoot things the way that we shoot them. For all its many faults and flaws, Caligula continues to fascinate. Hi, my name is Thomas Nagovin. Documentary filmmaker Tom Nagovin has been working on a cut of Caligula that supposedly will drop this year. What I've been doing. Then when I tell them that movie is Caligula, they always ask, isn't that a porno? In fact, a new cut of Caligula played at this year's Cannes Film Festival. Dozens of people walked out. As they say in France, plus ça change, plus c'est la même chose. Translation, Caligula simply will not go away. Here's one final irony. It's entirely possible that the real Caligula was nothing like the childish madman depicted. According to the BBC, the evidence for Caligula's monstrosity isn't quite as clear-cut. Most of what we think about Caligula was written long after he was gone. The few contemporaneous eyewitness accounts of Caligula's reign, they all fail to mention any of the worst stories, like incest with his sister or making his horse a consul. No Roman writer ever said that he made his horse a consul. Philo, a high-ranking Jewish ambassador, described Caligula as a rather menacing jokester, but nothing worse. Caligula had enemies. People in power always do. Caligula's enemies assassinated him, and then they had the final word on who Caligula was. It could well be that Caligula is the victim of bad reviews that deliberately took him out of context. Been there, done that. Been there, done that. Been there, done that. See you next time. The How Not to Make a Movie podcast is executive produced by me, Alan Katz, by Gil Adler, and by Jason Stein. Our artwork was done by the amazing Jody Webster, and Jason Jody, along with Mando, are all the hosts of the fun and informative Dads from the Crypt podcast. Follow them for what my old pal, the Crypt Keeper, would have called terrible Crypt content.